0: Welcome to the Small Groups in the Wesleyan Way Podcast, where we are all about going beyond programs, beyond best practices, and beyond curriculum to recover and learn from our Wesleyan roots and to explore the foundations for small groups that produce disciples of Jesus Christ who in turn disciple others. My name is Scott Hughes, and I'm the director of Adult Discipleship here at Discipleship Ministries.
1: And I'm Steve Manskar. Director of Wesleyan Leadership at Discipleship Ministries.
0: So this is part two of our interview with Kevin Watson. Uh, Kevin is the, a, a United Methodist pastor, a historian, and teaches at Candler School of Theology. He has several books out, including the class meeting, which is, of course, the, the focus of our interview with him. He's also written A Blueprint for Discipleship. Pursuing Holiness, and has a new book out called The Band Meeting with Scott Kitzker. And we hope to, to follow up with, with Scott and with Kevin at a future time to interview them about that book. So we look forward to that. So um, with that, let's roll into part two. And we have a surprise for the end, so stick around. So we have got some other questions about group dynamics, but I'm going to kind of put those on pause for a minute because I want to ask some more personal questions. Uh, tell us sure. about your experience with the class meeting while you were at, at Perkins and then how did that experience shape your own discipleship?
2: Yeah, um, you know, honestly, when I was in the PhD program at SMU, I um, the most formative thing for me was actually being in a band meeting, which is oh, okay. a sort of more intense group. But I, yeah. I was able to um, be a part of kind of helping to to sort of help others start class meetings. So okay. I worked a lot with with Dr. Elaine Heath when she was at, at Perkins um, and her her new monastic work and. Um, did that with some of the, the house church uh, work that she was doing that was, was yeah. exciting to be around. And, um, and I w- worked in helping start class meetings at the Wesley foundation there at SMU. Uh, and so that was, that was encouraging and it, it helped my discipleship just from the standpoint of, you know, my experience has been, and I don't think this is everybody's experience and I don't think it's really intended by anyone, but my experience has been that when you're in theological education, um, for some reason, it's more difficult there than it is in other contexts to actually bring your faith in a sort of biographical way into the conversation. And so, for me, it was actually just a, a blessing to be able to uh, to be a part of these conversations and helping people just have the space to talk about what God was doing in their life. And I've actually found in that context that for seminary students in particular. Um, being given permission to talk about what God was doing in their life was actually very freeing. And, and, you know, I mean, even especially now being at Candler, I'm, I'm amazed at how many students just are so grateful for having someone encourage them um, to talk about what God is doing in their life during this season of preparation for ministry. It's kind of obvious, I think, for lay people that, that folks preparing for ministry should be, um, paying attention to what God is doing in their life and and right. seeking to grow in their relationship with God, but uh, there's something about the the academy tends to kind of bifurcate our kind of personal lives and our sort of mm-hmm. faith from the life of the mind and the sort of objective pursuit of of knowledge and anyway so that that was probably the most important thing for me was that it it helped me to to have permission i think to to try to disrupt that to some extent
0: yeah, that makes sense that's that's interesting. All right, well, I'm going to transition back to some questions about, um, about group dynamics. I really liked Chapter 7, uh, titled, What Could Possibly Go Wrong? <laughs> right? If you've been in a small group, you've experienced that, right? Where, where things yeah. go wrong. And in that, you give uh, the top 10 ways to guarantee uh, your class meeting will fail. <laughs> that was just a great way of, yeah. If you there. want to torpedo your group, here's how to do it. Yeah, yeah, because we, we've been there, right? I mean, I think all of us have been there. Yeah. And so I'm going to kind of change this up and, and ask a little bit different question, perhaps, than maybe you think. And that is, what's the role of a pastor when it comes to class meetings, right? With all these group dynamics, um, you know, one of the things Steve and I have talked about is pastors being champions for small groups and being in yeah. small groups. So how, what's their role in, in making these groups go well?
2: yeah i think I think that it's it's indispensable really um and i I think I would say two things uh, the first is that senior pastors in particular have to be vocal about the importance of these groups for them to succeed to the degree that they can, and I think they need to be vocal about them in two ways um, one is that they need to be preaching and, and teaching from from the pulpit about why this is essential for christian discipleship why it's not just something that's optional for those those kind of scary weird intense christians (laughs) this is if you want to experience the kind of life that jesus has for you and gave his life for um, you need to be in community with other people if you try to go it alone you're going to experience futility and frustration in the christian life Um, and the pastor has to do that i think for it to succeed well Um, and and the second way that that they I think should should be in leadership in this is they need to be in a group, um, yeah. and I think there's okay. I think there's room to to disagree about how that looks, how okay. they should be in a group, whether it's with other pastors or whether it's with their own parishioners. I actually I, I'm to be honest not that interested in that argument. I think that either one is good, and I think okay. that. Pastors just have to be in groups. And if they're not, their their own souls are in danger and they're, you know, they're at risk of doing things they would never do otherwise. And and I think that oftentimes actually the sort of way, you know I've met very few pastors who actually like being put on a pedestal, but that oftentimes kind of receive that projection and Mm -hmm. act in ways that kind of make sense that someone would put them on a pedestal. In other words, they also tend to sort of separate themselves from um, their laity. And I think one of the best ways that, that you can disrupt that is um, by being in a group with people in your church. So I, I actually tend to, to be a, a, in favor of pastors um, being in groups with folks within their church. And I think you should do that in ways that are prudent and and so forth. It's it's always, I think, in freedom. So I would never, you know, I wouldn't have the authority to do this anyway, but I would never try to force a pastor to, to be in a group with their laity. But, yeah. um, you know, I, I think that that's, it's really important because part of this is that if if you're, you know, people, lay lay folks just have, have such a good, um, trying to, to think of a a G G-rated way of putting this, they have a <laughs> really good way of detecting whether the preacher actually believes what they're saying. Yeah, the radar. <laughs> yeah, they've got this radar and that, um, you know, if you're talking about small group formation and you're not in a small group, then you obviously don't believe what you're selling you know you're not buying it and so why would anybody else buy it and that's that's at a very basic level why it's essential but also because if you're in the group you're going to experience what it's doing in your own life and then be able to talk about it's going to actually bring your preaching to another level because you'll be speaking from personal conviction and not just from from an abstraction about historical principles and statistics and so forth Um, so I, i think it's i think it's essential in that way And I, I would say in, you know, in case there are senior pastors listening, um, one of the most discouraging things to me actually, since writing the class meeting book has, and there have been so few things that have been discouraging has been the, that there have been a number of times I've been talking to associate pastors after I've given a talk somewhere or something, and they're basically trying to figure out how to do this in a church where they have no support from their senior pastor. Um, and that it just grieves me because the the senior pastor would not have to do much to really free associate pastors up to do this with authority. Um, but they, they not, obviously not always, but it's, it's a, you know, if you're in a, if you're a senior pastor listening to this, I I just hope that it's something that you would do everything you can, first of all, to not get in the way, just, you know, yeah. keep it simple and don't get in the way. And, but secondly, um, Lynn, you know, you don't have to do much speaking about it from from the stage sometimes to give the associate who's, who you've kind of given the the baton to to run with implementing it. You don't have to do much, but, mm-hmm. but the things that you can say that actually demonstrate that you're behind this and that you support it makes it, it, it sometimes literally 30 seconds in an announcement of a senior pastor speaking with conviction about why this is important will make the difference in whether it succeeds or fails. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: One of the, the biggest group dynamics that I, I get questions about, um, and we've had some conversation about this already that I'd, I'd like to explore a little more, is that distinction between creating community and then the small group or class meeting becoming a clique, right? And that, that mm-hmm. tension between being open, hospitable, and um, sort of creating trust. Um, yeah. so say a little more about, about that.
2: Yeah, I think that, um, that that's actually one of the ways in which my own thinking about small group dynamics in general has, has changed. Um, so I, I've, I've noticed that, 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 that kind of question will come up a lot and it comes from a good place. Um, mm-hmm. people don't want sort of the outsider in the church, the person who doesn't have a deep place of belonging yet. They don't want them to feel left out and excluded. Sure. So there's a worry that this group that's awesome and is just, killing it, but it, it doesn't have capacity for new folks anymore. Um, and that's, that's the reality in my experience of groups that are going really well is, you know, the ideal is you have an empty chair and you're ready for the guests and to welcome them, right. in, but at some point you just can't add new members or the group right. gets too big that it can't be what it's supposed to be anymore. Um, and and so that's, that's kind of the concern is that then the group starts to seem, you know, they're eating meals together outside of church. They're, you know, they're having a great time together and other people notice that and aren't included in it. Uh, and so should that be disrupted in some way so that it's not exclusive and so folks aren't left out. And so I think there's a good concern there. Um, the, as I've thought about it more though, what I've, what I've become increasingly convicted about is that community is just so precious. It's yeah. so rare. Um, And it's so important that we should never mess with community that's working well. And so I would be willing if I was the senior pastor in a church to stand in the gap and sort of take the heat that of the accusation of cliquishness to to defend, you know, to basically okay. just protect that group so that it can continue to, to, to do life together. Now I think, you know, cliquishness can be a real thing. So if it's actually that it's kind of like a, if there's a kind of, snobbery or, you know, something like that. That's, that's a different issue. But I think oftentimes when people are talking about the fear of cliquishness, really what they mean is that it's a tight knit group where people really love each other. Well, right. and the, the, the challenge is that on the one hand, most people need more deep relationships than they have. But on the other hand, you can only have so many of those. And so at some level, it's it's not really fair to a group that's doing well to sort of demand that they be all things to all people. Right. If they're, you know, if there's ten people that are doing life together in the deep place as well, that should just be re- loved and and celebrated. And the solution is that churches need to constantly be creating new groups so that there's mm-hmm. always a place of belonging yeah. for folks who don't have it yet. That's good. And the other the other thing I would say about this that we haven't said yet that is maybe one of the hardest things to accept about okay. dynamics is that if you're in a church that's actually, you know, has a culture of small groups you're going to have lots that fail, that mm, aren't yeah. healthy, that don't work. And that's normal and okay. And, and sometimes the most courageous thing you can do is to, to give a group permission to die or maybe even to encourage them to give themselves permission to die. Yeah. And then what you do is you just start new groups. You just, you just say, we, we don't even need to figure out why this one didn't work. It's Okay. But in you know in in the in the life cycle of any living organism, if this if that's an appropriate analogy for small groups, things are born, they grow, and they die, and yeah. um and the the duration of life is unpredictable for you know for living things, uh, and so some small groups may you know you may have a class meeting in your church that meets for six decades and praise the Lord for that, <laughs> um, and you'll have others that that don't make it to six weeks and that's okay too, and um and I think that that's that's part of where I think the senior pastor can can create the culture for that there the the reason sometimes that we don't want to end something like that is because it feels like a failure and it's right in some sense um and that i reached out for community and it didn't work and so there must be something wrong with me and no that's it's just sometimes there's, yeah. there's relationship dynamics that are completely unpredictable and um and let's just try again and it's yeah. you know it's it's going to work out And i think that's important to kind of name at the outset yeah. Uh, if you start 10 groups, they're not all going to be awesome groups, you know? Um, And, and to me as, as the pastor, what you should do is you should celebrate if there's one out of 10 groups that is awesome. And is you know, Mm -hmm. has a long-term life, then that's a group of people that wouldn't have had this kind of community otherwise. And and you should, you should rejoice in that and, and, and praise the Lord.
0: Yeah. So two things said me first is, excuse me, first is celebrate the victories. And the second is, it, the analogy came up in my head about dating, right? You don't stop dating because one date goes bad. Yeah. Right. You sort of yeah. you keep at it and keep trying. Yeah.
2: Um, and, I, and I, one of the things I have tried to say that as a sort of very practical and simple thing that I would offer to, to folks listening is I think the easiest way to celebrate victories is, you know, as soon as you, if you have one person who's kind of hair is on fire for this and is having a great experience, get them on camera to give a testimony to what God is doing in them through this practice. And then get, you know, whoever it is in your church that can record that and edit it, cut it down to a 30 minute soundbite and play it in worship as a part of the demonstration of the, this is, you know, because to me, one of the ladies voices are the most powerful for selling this. And, you know, and that's, that's an, an intentionally crude image. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, but I think it is reality. Anytime you kind of are inviting people into something sort of the, the, the audience is sitting there thinking like, what, is this? Am I really going to get something out of this? Should I really right. give my time and energy to this? And people are extremely busy. So they're making those decisions, whether we want to admit it or not. And I think yep. if you have a person in the group who's saying, this has changed my life, that's, that's, that's the most helpful thing that you can offer to other folks who are on the fence considering it. And, you know, so, so capture those stories and, and then share them with your people. And I think videotaping it and, and then editing it is the best because, yeah. um, you know, we shouldn't put lady up on stage um, when they're not used to speaking and, you know, it's, it's uncomfortable for them. It's hard to, to get, you know, I'm, I'm that way. A lot of times I talk longer than I intended to, and yeah. I don't realize how much time's gone by. And so then you have your, you know, you can have a way to, to have that be as, as polished and helpful as it can be.
0: Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. That's helpful. So, so last question. You've been very generous with your time. Last question. And, and it's about, I think, some ways of bringing us full sur- circle. Because um, in the book, you, you talk about the class meeting as sort of an instrument, right? It, it's, mm. it's pushing us towards holiness. And so um, talk about the relationship then between the general rules and class meetings and, and just the, the, the way in which Wesleyans move towards holiness and how this is an instrument for that.
2: Yeah, I mean, so I think it's, it's a great question to end on. The General Rules are essential for the people called Methodists uh, of all stripes. It's kind of our foundational document that um, is actually that reading them is what where I first had that idea of you know the Christian life's not as complicated as these kind of cognitive approaches make it seem to be. It's a it's a three page document, you know. Mm-hmm. That Wesley was saying if you want to kind of row with us and come along beside us, this is this is where you start, you know, and 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 you start with um, these basic, you know, they're, they're, they're pretty active postures, right? Um, so you st- stop doing things that are bringing you increasing your separation from, from God and others and, um, you know, do things that actually positively express love for God and for others. Uh, and then, uh, put yourself in, in these places where God has promised to be present through the means of grace, that these are places where God has, has wedded himself to these practices and said, I'm, I'm always, you may, you know, I may surprise you and, and other places. I, I'm, I can, I can move however I want to move says the Lord, but yeah. it may be that, but when you come to scripture, when you come to prayer, when you come to Eucharist, when you come to worship, when you come to Christian conferencing, which is the class meeting, yeah. I'm always there. I always meet with you in those places. And so mm-hmm. show up in those places. Uh, and I think that, you know, having those, having those in place, Um, that should be sort of the core DNA of, of every, every Methodist church and every Methodist kind of discipleship process that these are, this is who we are. This is what we Mm -hmm. do. Um, and, and that's one of the reasons that I'm more comfortable, um, you know, kind of saying the class meeting then should the content of the class meeting should be talking about the state of our soul because Mm -hmm. the general rules are assuming that you're doing the things that you should be doing kind of behind the scenes before the group meets and that those practices or habits, as, as, as we earlier, you know, as you so hopefully said yeah. in, in your best uh, Steve Manscar impression, <laughs> um, <laughs> those habits are, are informing the way that you answer the question, the way that you talk about the state yeah. of your soul. And oftentimes then you may say, it's not well with my soul. And you know what? I think maybe it's not well with my soul. I don't really feel, I feel distant from God. And I think that's because, no, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, I noticed that I've not been disciplined in my practice of the means of grace over the past week. Um, and, and so I guess it's not surprising that I don't really feel close to God because I haven't been putting myself in the places where God is always close to me and is always committed to meet with me. Um, and so, uh, I haven't been putting effort and energy and I haven't been exercising my will in ways that can lead to, to my own flourishing. Um, and I, so I think that that's a, a kind of key piece. Uh, and again, it's, it's that same illustration that it's not that hard to, to know what we should do. What's really hard is actually prioritizing our lives so that we actually show up in those places and we actually do those things. Yeah.
0: Well, well, Kevin, we've come to the end of our time. Thank you so much for your time, for, for what you've done. And I know a lot of people are going to benefit from it. So, so thanks.
2: Thank you. Thank you very much.
0: Well, as we begin to digest what, what Kevin has, has brought forward in his book and in the interview, um, Stephen, I thought that the best way forward is instead of just talking uh, about what what Kevin has presented, is actually to uh, bring in a new partner into this. And this is uh, Amy Sigmund. She is the coordinator here at Leadership Ministries for Worship Resources and also a member at Bell Mead United Methodist Church. And Amy is going through the class meeting with, uh, with some folks from her church. And we thought this would be a good way to get the practical end of how this looks in a church. So, uh, Amy, how is how's this going in your church? Where are you in the process?
3: It's going well. There's a group of nine of us that have come together to become a new. Our church is calling it home groups. Okay. Um, we are reading two chapters per meeting, mm-hmm. and we have just finished chapter six: the role of the class leader. Um, basically, we read it ahead of time, and then enter um, an hour of discussion on our reading we have a class we have a class leader um, okay. it's my husband Brian and um,
0: he keeps us on track very cool so how has it been received so far
3: it's been received really well everybody's very excited about this idea of the class meeting they've definitely raised the questions of why don't we do this more often <laughs> and why do we? is this a replacement for Sunday school or Mm. should we have Sunday school plus this? Um, And definitely a lot of enthusiasm for this idea.
0: Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Those are certainly interesting questions that that would seem natural to come up, right? How does this relate to these other groups that we already have in place and is it a replacement? Yeah. Um, Yeah. Good questions. Um, Steve, I know you got some questions too. I'll let you jump in.
1: Uh, Well, I guess my first question is, what is it that the people are that they like or that they're drawn to in the in the book?
3: They like, they like the fact that this is an intentional foundation for a small group meeting together. We aren't just getting together for a meal and fellowship or even for a meal and Bible study. We are looking at how we're going to be together in order to grow our relationship with God and our walk with Christ um, Everybody who has signed up for this wants that intentionality. They want that strengthened and increased relationship.
1: And how how do they, how does this, how do you see this process that Kevin just recommends in the book, helping you to grow in your relationship with Christ?
3: You know, I think what, Specifically, the class meeting. What his book does is going to give us a foundation. Um, we've looked at well, we've looked at the role of the class leader. We've looked at this um, chapter five, the the life cycle mm. of the class. So we have a foundation. We have an outline for what we're doing, and as we move forward, once we finish this book, I do think we're going to take a deeper dive into what. Discipleship looks like this. Okay. This book is not going to be the end of okay. We're ready. We're just meeting. Um, this book is the foundation and the jumping-off point for mm-hmm. our group's discipleship journey.
1: So then you see when, once you finish that your group has finished reading the book, to then taking the next step of actually becoming a class meeting? Or I guess your I, church, your congregation is calling them home groups?
3: Our congregation is calling them home groups, um, uh, which is which is pretty vague. Um, and I think, uh, sure. but, but everybody has been really excited about this historical idea of the class meeting. In fact, one member of our group made a Google Calendar and shared it with us. And on the Google Calendar, he called our meetings class meetings. Mm, cool. And so I do think we are going to look at what does what does a class meeting look like? What does accountability to each other look like for us? Um, I do think um, we're going to want to look at the the rule Wesley's rule of life and h- how we're going to understand that and if we're going to incorporate that in some way.
1: So, the, well. Can I ask another question, Scott? Absolutely. <laughs> um, I can see well, that, you, I can see the wheel spinning, I knew you were going with another one. Yeah, so <laughs> that leads, my, my other question is, you know, how, how do you see yourself, you know, well, you, you know, you can answer this personally, Amy, or um, just in general as a group, a, you know, answering that question that, you know, which was the question of the class meeting is, how is it with your soul? Mm-hmm. How do you see yourself, this process? And how do you answer that question in the group?
3: How do I answer it personally? Or
0: how does the group get at it? Or, yeah, how, how does do you the get group
1: get at that? Yeah.
3: Well, we've certainly, I'm trying to think, there are a few of us who are just really familiar with historical Methodism and that question as being the question of the group. So I'm trying to okay. decide if if we've actually talked about that in group or if or not. But um, we are looking to be vulnerable with one another. We've had a lot of vulnerability come up, even just the three or four times that we've met. Uh, we've been talking about risks that we've taken in the past and how God has has been there and answered those. And so I think people are looking to answer the questions. People have given answers to that kind of questions. How is it with your soul, even without having asked that yet? So I think Mm. we're moving towards a place where we can ask that and people can say, it's not great. Mm. Or, you know, in the time since last we've met, I've been thinking about God more and I do feel more at peace. And I feel like I see the presence of God in my life. Or I've had a rough week and the only thing that got me through was thinking about coming to meeting tonight. You know, it, mm. it might be something along those lines.
0: Okay. Yeah. Um, well, how has been the pastoral support for this? I know the this is somewhat support, new. So.
3: This is very new. Bell Mead UMC has gone through a period of... Of reflection, of meetings, of dreaming and visioning forward. And connection with one another has bubbled up as one of the things that our congregation highly prioritizes and values. And so they have launched these home groups in order to fulfill that and keep that moving forward. We are the pilot home group. Um, And so we are beginning to ask the questions of what do you need from us? Do Mm -hmm. we need to be talking to other people about home group? But the past pastoral support has been great. We have church support. We have, um, childcare that comes to our homes and watches our kids in the home for the hour while we talk. Um, that's wonderful because there's no way we could have a focused conversation for an hour because we have six kids Mm -hmm. between all of us. Um, so, the pastoral leadership has been great. I will say that picking up Kevin Watson's The Class Meeting was a decision by our leader, by my husband, just because he's familiar with gotcha. Methodist related publications. Sure. Yeah, that helps a lot. But um, we would recommend it to anybody, any other group getting started, absolutely.
0: Well, I think, and one one, I really appreciate you sharing your experience, and I think a lot of folks, because you, you come, you're in a very traditional Methodist church, right? I mean, this mm-hmm. is very traditional, and this is different, right? And I think yes. a lot of our audience is sort of in that place, a traditional Methodist church looking for something different, so I think that's, that's helpful. Steve, you That would
1: be a united Methodist church,
0: right? Y- yeah. Did, uh-huh. I, did I not say that? Did I not include <laughs> the United? That's funny, because I used to get on other people for not doing that, and I didn't, so. Kettle pot, yeah. Um, yeah, we're going to hear about that, Scott. So.
1: <laughs> it happens. Um, any other questions from you, Steve? Um, no. I. I um, well, I guess the, the only other comment, maybe it's a question, is that, again, uh, that it, from, what, from listening to what Amy is saying, the process of Meeting I don't know. How often do you meet
3: we're meeting every two weeks
1: every oh, okay. two weeks? So you're meeting every two weeks that, that that commitment to meeting with the same group of people on a regular basis whether it's weekly or every two weeks Over time you develop trust with one another and a willingness to share Yourself with one another is that mm-hmm. fair to say?
3: That absolutely.
1: You you get to know each other better
3: Yeah, absolutely. That, Some of us that, came in with that trust already built up. Okay. Yeah. yeah
1: But that that process of Relationship building is a means of grace
0: Yeah Yeah, would you would you want to say anything add anything to that Amy?
1: Amy I think we lost Amy.
0: <laughs> oh no. Amy, can you hear us? Um, well, I'll tell you what we're going to do. Yes, you can hear us. Anything you want to add to, to, um, Steve's question or comment?
3: No. Okay. <laughs>
1: fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Oh, thank you, Amy.
0: <laughs> um, so let, yeah, let's, let's wrap up. Um, I do want to mention you can get a hold of Kevin Watson on Twitter at Kevin Watson. I'm sure he'd love to interact with you. Um, Steve, where can people find you on Twitter?
1: At S. Manskar. That's at S-M-A-N-S-K-A-R. And I'm at
0: Rev Scott's Tweets and also at <laughs> UMC Adult Form. Amy, where are you on Twitter? Can people connect with you?
3: Um. I am on Twitter. I never remember my Twitter handle. I connect more on Instagram. I'm at Amy Sigmund, uh, A-M-Y-S-I-G-M-O-N on Instagram. Um, So look for me and um, my kids there. So I guess
0: you, you, since you mentioned Instagram, right? You're a millennial, so that's where you went. Us old folks went to Twitter, so (laughs) that's
1: where we are. Yeah.
0: So get in touch with us. We want your engagement. So you can find our emails on our website, umcdiscipleship.org. And we look forward to interacting with you. And until next time, peace.
1: Small Groups in the Wesleyan Way podcast has been a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Visit all our podcasts at podcasts.umcdiscipleship.org.